and the rest of us, we can turn to First Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 4, and before I start, I, <laughs> I want to pre-apologize. <laughs> um, I've, I've uh, caught a bit of a cough this week, and it's actually much better this morning, but you can hear my voice has took a, a little bit of a hit this morning. But um, it may happen in between that I just mute myself and get the cough out and get it over with. So, sorry, just and thank you for your patience. <laughs> All right. So we are in First Peter chapter 4. Now, the last time that we looked at this chapter, we ended off there in verse 7. Verse 7 that reads, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And we, we spoke about everything that... Um, well, at least that I learned from this verse, you know, that this, the second coming of Christ is at hand. Jesus is coming soon, and he's definitely coming soon. Now, it is evident from Peter's writing and from the rest of the apostles' writings that they thought it, that it might still have happened in their lifetimes. Obviously, we're 2,000 years removed from that. It still hasn't happened. But like I said last time, folks, it's even sooner now. It's going to happen even sooner now than it did 2,000 years ago. We're even further down the timeline. So we need to be ready for that. We need to be expecting him. You know, Paul wrote in, in, about this in Titus 2 verse 13, and he said that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That is what we are looking towards. And so I hope that you are looking towards that this morning. I, I hope you've been reminding yourself and keeping this in the forefront of your mind. Because that'll, that'll definitely keep you out of a lot of stupid, sinful things if you do that. It really will. <clears throat> you know, if you've not, never done this before, then maybe start today and start reminding yourself, okay, the start of this day is, is over with, but you can... Uh, do it at the start of tomorrow and the start of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on you go. Remind yourself at the start of every day, you know what? The Lord might come back today. He might come back today. Okay, he might come back next week. So what? But he might come back today. He might come back this afternoon. Remind yourself in the afternoon. Remind yourself in the evening. Whatever it takes, but just keep this in the forefront of your mind. Because he is coming back. He definitely is. Um, so maybe try that. Maybe that's a... A tip that you can use. It's something that I've, I've started to employ in my own life, and I must say it has made a difference in how I've made certain decisions in my life. So I, I'm hoping that it will help you as well. Now, if you are saved this morning, then of course you are God's child, right? Right, all right, amen, all right. We read in John 1 verse 12 that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so if that is you today, well, folks, he's coming to fetch you personally. He's going to pick you up one day out of your seat or wherever you are. He's going to pick you up and he's going to um, take you to the clouds and you're going to meet him there and you're going to be with him like that forever. That's a wonderful promise, but it might be scary to you this morning as well. And if that is scary, I would encourage you, make yourself right with God. You know, we read that the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, not my unrighteousness. You don't know what I've done. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, every single bit of it. And he's faithful in doing that. Try it out. 
Go to Him in prayer. Go to Him in repentance. But remind yourself of this, that He's coming back soon. It'll change your life. It really would. Now, that's, uh, that, that's part of what the last part of verse 7 is about, actually. <clears throat> Where Peter writes, Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. Take this fact seriously. That's the point. Take it seriously. Jesus is coming back. And live prayerfully. Take every day with prayer and every moment with prayer because you know that His coming is at hand. So in the light of this, Peter is writing verse 8. Well, the next section. We're going to read from verse 8 to 11. He writes there, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I hope you can say amen to that. Now, starting in verse 8, as you saw, Peter is introducing the main ingredient of the theme of this section from verse 8 to 11. And that is, of course, charity. You see that in verse 8? And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. And the rest flows from that. We're only going to look at verse 8 this morning, but we'll look at the rest um, as we go along. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you. Whenever I hear the word charity or I think of charity, a certain picture comes in my mind. You know, it's, it's mostly we think about charity being feeding the poor you know, or, or doing some good deed, building a house or something like that or right, as, as a charitable deed. Um, there are all sorts of uh, charity organizations that are registered and that are doing various kinds of things. Each one of them have their own mission in how they want to support the needy. Um, I even received an email this week from the company that I work for, uh, for uh, to encourage people to, to give some of their time, some of their money, some of their expertise, whatever it might be, towards some sort of charitable cause, to, towards uh, serving or ministering to the less fortunate. Now, there is nothing inherently wrong with any of that, all right? As a matter of fact, Christians are supposed to feed the hungry and to help the poor. And historically speaking, Christians have done the most of that, <laughs> all right? If you go down in history and even look at what's going on in the world right now, Christians have been really good at that. And even though it's, it's definitely part of what that word charity uh, of the meaning of that word charity. It is not the full meaning of this word, I don't think. Now, to show you what I mean, let's, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13, which is, of course, a very famous chapter in the Bible. You mostly hear this at weddings. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. And um, let's read verse 4. Ah, sorry, verse 3. And, and what I want to show you with verse 3, before we read that, is just to show you that charity does not equal feeding the poor. Okay, look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, 
And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So see, charity does not equal feeding the poor. Paul says that even if I give all I have to feed, to feed the poor, you know, sell everything that I have so that they can have a meal to eat, and I don't have any charity, well, it's useless. <laughs> it it, it comes, comes to nothing. So obviously, those two aren't equal. You can be the best feeder of the poor in the world, but if you don't have charity, it's useless. That's Paul's point. Now, I believe that we can give this word charity a fuller meaning by referring to its synonym, which is, of course, love. All right? And that is exactly what both Peter and Paul are talking about, is actual genuine love. Now, we are in, in 1 Corinthians 13, and this chapter is famous as the, uh, the chapter of love. You know, some Bibles, yeah, I know in the Afrikaans as well, this word charity is translated as love. In other parts of the Bible, uh, even the King James, this word is translated as love, all right? But it, it, it all depends on the context. Um, but what you will see here is that this kind of love that is described here is sacrificial. It is when you willingly give of yourself. All right. Uh, so let's briefly look there. We'll start at verse 4. And we'll see some of the characteristics of charity. Now Paul starts off by saying, Charity suffereth long. Suffereth long, switch it around, put it together. It's long-suffering. <laughs> All right. Charity is long-suffering. It is patient. It is even more patient than the person that is receiving the charity would have actually expected it to be. That's how patient charity is. All right? And isn't that exactly what we see in God? That's, that's one of God's characteristics, is that He is long-suffering. He is so long-suffering towards us. You know, just, just think about how many times you've disappointed God in your life already. Even, I'm talking about after you got saved. How many times have you disappointed him? How many times have you sinned against God? And you know what? He still hasn't wiped you from the face of this earth. And he could do that. He could do that like that. All right? He still hasn't done that. He still forgives you. He still cleanses you like I just said. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness, from all of your sins when you go to him in repentance. He still does that. You know, people, people think, you know, yeah, I've messed up so much. There's no way that God loves me. Well, like I just said, you're still here. <laughs> That's proof enough that He still loves you and that He's patient with you. God is so long-suffering, and that's, that's, that's how we should be. We should emulate that. We should try to be like Him. Now, next Paul says, he starts, starts off, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity is kind. It, it goes out of its way to be kind to other people. You know, that, that means to be friendly to them. You know, it takes nothing to just give a smile to somebody, to just greet them friendly, and to actually ask, how are you doing? Not just as a matter of a formality. Actually asking, how are you? And, 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 and be kind in that way. Even if those people weren't friendly with you first. That is what charity does. Charity is the initiator. Paul says, next, he says that charity envieth not. It does not envy. So it's not envious of any of the blessings that, that you see other people have. You know, maybe, maybe God has blessed somebody in a greater way or has given them more blessings than you have received. Well, charity is not somebody, you know, if you have charity in you, 
you're not sitting there and feeling sorry for yourself and think, ah, you know, I'm envious of that person. I want all that he has. Why isn't God blessing me like that? You know, what's going on here? That's not what charity does. You know, if you really want to show your love towards that person, well then, get over yourself and, and that sense of entitlement that you have. We all have a certain sense of that that we need to work through, all right? And be happy for that person. Be happy that the Lord has blessed them with whatever He has blessed them with, whatever it might be, whether it is gifts or material goods, whatever it might be. Be happy for them. Next, he says, Charity vaunteth not itself. Now, to vaunt, <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but to vaunt is to excessively boast about something. It's bragging. You know, that, that's what it is. So, so that is sort of the opposite of the envying point. That is that you, you don't go around and, and boast about, you know, all of the blessings that you have received. All right, that's, that's also not what charity does. You don't go around and rub, people, rub people's faces in the fact that, well, look at what God has blessed me with. You know, na 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 that type of thing. All right, we don't do that. All right. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you have to hide the fact that you have received some sort of blessing from the Lord. You know, and on, on our Thursday night services, that's actually part of what we do. We give people an opportunity to testify of what the Lord has done in their lives. We can do that, all right? But there's a way to do that. It's not, like I said, not rubbing people's faces in it, but saying, look how good God is. That's a different way of doing that. But charity doesn't go around and brags about those things. Next, Paul says that, um, where are we? At the end of verse 4, he said, charity is not puffed up. So that just means you're not swelled up with pride in yourself, you know. Uh, love just doesn't do that. Next, he says, it does not behave itself unseemly. Did you know that that's a way that you can actually love other people? That you can show love? is by behaving yourself. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you ever think about that? You know, by not using crude words, by not telling dirty jokes, um, just, by, just by, being, by being all around decent. That's a way that you can love people. Maybe something to think about. Next he says, um, oh, let me just find my place here, verse 5, he says, Charity seeketh not her own. So somebody who really loves others are not just looking out for themselves. And I think that goes without saying almost, you know. If you love other people, you will be concerned of their well, on their well-being. All right? That makes sense. Next, he says, it's not easily provoked. So like most of these characteristics, this one is simple to understand, maybe a little harder to, to implement. But true love, true charity, true love doesn't get irritated easily by people. Okay? When you really love other people then you are patient and you don't easily lose your temper with them. And I, and I think that this actually goes hand in hand with what Paul says next. He says, charity thinketh no evil. So that is that you, that you um, don't think about taking some sort of revenge on somebody because of whatever they've done against you. You know, maybe they stepped on your toes while we were singing, you know, he was dancing too much and stepped on your toes and then, oh. Now I'm angry. You know, I'm going to take revenge. I'm going to dance and step on his toes. <laughs> Stupid example, but you get what I'm saying. Charity doesn't think any evil. You don't dwell on the things that somebody has done to you. 
you don't become bitter in your heart because of the things that people have done to you. That is what thinketh no evil means. Instead, what you do is you think about how God is with you and you forgive them as God has forgiven you in your life. Now next, in verse 6, and like you can see, uh, as you can see, we're just going through this quickly. You know, this can easily become a series in and of itself. But verse 6 says, Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. So love never finds any pleasure in the sins of other people. All right? It never does that. Whether these people are friends or enemies, aren't we commanded to love our enemies? I think we are, yeah. All right? Love or charity does not find any pleasure in seeing somebody sin. That's, that's sort of what happens, you know, on some of these um, talk, radio talk programs or, or these news commentators, you know. Isn't that what's happening there? Huh? It's, it's almost like you sort of get a kick out of listening to, oh, this guy did this again and that again and this corruption is going on again and all of that. Charity doesn't do that. Charity does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoice, rejoices in the truth. So, so what it does, it finds pleasure in the truth, and it is totally devoted to the truth. That's what charity does. And I think it's kind of obvious, but if you love somebody, then you won't lie to them, will you? That, that, that's just so obvious. Um, you always look for the truth in every matter, and you rejoice in that if you have charity. Verse 7, <coughs> excuse me, Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now, like I said, we're not going to dive deep into any of these, but just shortly, love or charity bears other people's burdens. You know, we read in Galatians 6 verse 2, uh, where Paul writes, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, to love one another. <laughs> Bearing, bearing each other's burdens, that's, that's something that, um, excuse me, that, that charity does. It bears the sins that other people may have committed against you. Uh, it believes all things. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that uh, you just believe everything that everybody says, right? That would be naive. Okay, that's another lesson. All right, we don't do that. But I think it has more to do with giving people the benefit of the doubt. All right? It, it, it is not loving to always be suspicious of people. That's not loving at all. He says charity hopes all things. It, it hopes the best of all men. <laughs> of all men. It hopes the best. You know, that includes believers and unbelievers. It, it hopes that they are in, sincere in what they're doing and in what they're saying. It hopes that those that that believe are trying their utmost to follow God in every aspect of their life. It hopes that those that don't believe will come to repentance and faith in Christ and, and be saved of, um, as a result of that. It hopes all things. And lastly, he says, charity endures all things. It endures all things. To, to have to endure something means to go through something that is difficult, that is tough. Charity goes through that without complaining about any of it. 
charity goes through it. It will press through whatever the situation is until it is no longer necessary to endure that situation. It will just go right through it. And will, it will do that on the, ho- on the behalf of other people as well by bearing their burdens, right? Now, like I said, we went through this fairly quickly, but we need to look at what this charity is that Peter is talking about, and we can go back before we go back. Sorry, we're still in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't want you to page back later. I just want to show you something. Um, Let's go back to verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12. And for those of you that have been coming to the Thursday night uh, services, you will know um, we've been going through this. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is... Um, telling these Corinthians, you know, what, what the kinds of gifts are and how not to abuse them and so on. And he, he continues in chapter 14 as well. And, and that, that's something that we see a lot, right? People, people wonder, well, what are my gifts? What has, God, what has God given me? And so you get sort of checklists that they hand out and you fill in this test and that test. And at the end, it spits out, okay, you've got this gift. I don't think it works that way, but we'll get there when we get to that lesson. But what I want to show you, after Paul has you know, sp- spoken about all of these things, in verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, But covet earnestly the, the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Let me show you a better way to approach all of these things, you know, the things about gifts and all of that. I'm going to show you a much better way. And what is that? That's chapter 13. Start with charity. Let that be the focal point that everything, out, oh, everything else comes out of. Charity, that's the center of it all. Now, now we can come back to <laughs> First Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> chapter 4, excuse me for that. First Peter 4. Like I said, I wanted us to just get a better understanding, a better grasp on what Peter is talking about here when he says that we should have fervent charity amongst ourselves, all right? And so we've looked at charity. Now, what, what he says there in, like I said, verse 8, we can just read it again. He says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Fervent charity. Now, to do something fervently means to do it with all your might, with all of it. You know, one commentator wrote about this, and, uh, and he said that the, this word was used in ancient Greek texts to describe a horse that stretches out his muscles, you know, as he's going full speed. That's the kind of picture. Have you ever seen a horse like that? You know, these horses with muscles coming out everywhere, you know, and then when they start running, it's, it's the most beautiful sight uh, to see. You know, it's almost more beautiful than seeing the ocean, but not quite. All right. <laughs> but but it, it is a beautiful sight. Uh, so you can just imagine the kind of energy, the kind of strength that is flowing through that body to propel that horse to whatever goal he's um, going towards, probably some food. <laughs> All right. But it it's, it's, must be an amazing amount of power. And in that moment, when that horse is racing towards that goal, he sees nothing else, he thinks about nothing else, nothing else matters. He simply puts everything in to reach that goal. Every fiber of his body is working together to reach that goal. That is the kind of effort that we should put in 
to have charity or to love each other. And it's a mutual thing, you know. I should love you, you should love me. We're a happy family. Okay. <laughs> Why did I do that? Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have kids. <laughs> All right. I have license to do that. All right. Now, we've looked at what charity is. um, But, you see, if we didn't look at this, I could have just told you that, okay, charity means love and just be done with it. But I don't think you would have gotten the full picture of what we're talking about here, you know, because everybody has a different understanding of that word love. That word love has been twisted and perverted in our culture. And so I just wanted to, to see what the Bible actually means when he talks about love or charity. That's, that's one reason why I actually love, or, or actually, yeah, I love this translation saying charity. It, it, it just, you know, makes you dig a little bit deeper. Uh, but I just wanted you to see that when we're talking about love in this sense, that it's not a sentimental kind of love at all. It's not sentimental at all. Now, <clears throat> What do I mean by that? Well, it's not the kind of love that you feel towards your favorite rugby team or towards, towards other people that support the same rugby team as you do. Okay? I hope that sort of gives you an idea. It's not the same kind of love that you, you know, when you, when you saw that beautiful girl in class when you were in high school, all right, you started to notice girls and you're like, I'm in love, right? It's not that kind of love. It's not a sentimental type of thing, all right? The point here is that the love that we should have towards each other is not sentimental, but it is sacrificial. It's a sacrificial type of love. You're sacrificing some of yourself to love people like that. And you know, we often talk about our church family, right? We, we, we refer to ourselves, as, this is our church family, and that can also stir up some sentimental feelings within us. And I don't think that's wrong in and of itself at all. Okay, I also talk about my church family. This is my church family. All right? Because that is what I honestly believe we are. I, I really do believe that we are a family. But it is not the fact that we all go to the same church on a Sunday or on a Thursday or the same Bible school, whatever, that makes us a family. That's not it. This is not some club that we attend and we pay our monthly fees, you know, our tithes. We don't pay our monthly fees to attend this club once or twice a week, whatever it may be. And, and that then makes us feel some sort of superficial love towards this, call it organization. All right? But it is the bond that we have with Christ that makes us a family. That's where it comes from. With His Father being our Father. That is what makes us family. And that is why we should put in a genuine effort to sacrifice our own time, our own resources, even our own feelings. All of it. We should sacrifice all of it to have this charity among ourselves. To have fervent charity among ourselves. We should be stretching every spiritual muscle that we have to, to achieve this or to, or to do this, to perform this. Now, notice that if the fact that we are all united under one Lord uh, makes us a family, well, then that means that there are other believers that don't attain this church that are also part of our family, that we should love just as much as we love the people sitting here this morning. 
In fact, we should have this kind of charity among all believers. I'm talking about the universal church, if you want to call it like that. Everybody that is in Christ. <clears throat> you see, that is when the sentimentalism of these things starts to break down, if you have that sort of perspective. Otherwise, we would just be sitting here in our camp, you know, Bible Baptist Church, and we will feel like, well, our team is the best team, and that's it, right? And it is us against them. You know, it's Bible Baptist Church against all the other churches. This is the best church. But that's not what the Lord wants from us. That's not what He wants from us. Did you know that the Lord has children in the Dutch Reformed Church, in Gekerk? He has children there. Did you know that he has children in many of these non-denominational churches that they're, they're having a rock band on stage this morning and sort of a rock and light show and all of that? The Lord has children in those churches as well. Did you know that he has children in the Pentecostal churches, you know, where they might even be speaking in these nonsensical and unbiblical tongues, as they call it, right now, at this very moment, they might be doing it, but the Lord has children there as well. Should we not love these people as well? Of course we should. Of course we should. Now, does that mean that we love them by setting aside our differences and never try to show them the truth uh, about the things that they might be believing in? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. Charity rejoiceth in, not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You remember that? Charity rejoiceth in the truth. If we love the truth and we love our brothers and our sisters, then we will also give them the truth in love. We will do that. We should be having fervent love or fervent charity among all believers. That's the command that we have here in verse 8, to love uh, each other as believers. Now, Peter starts this verse in verse 8 again. He starts it off by saying, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. And I believe the best way to put it concisely um, is I believe that he says that because, uh, he says this, because the virtue of having this kind of fervent love um, among believers is the most important virtue in the Christian life. That's what I think. And besides that, when you love like this, you are um, obeying the Lord's new commandment that He gave us. You remember the new commandment, John 13, verse 34? He said, a new commandment, that's Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse 35, he says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So this is great, right? When you are participating in this kind of love, this fervent love uh, towards the believers around you, you are obeying the Lord, and you show to the world that you are his disciple. So it even becomes a great evangelization tool, right, to, to bring people to Christ. And we've seen how that works before in this very church. You know, we've, we've had church members that they bring their unsaved friends or family here, and then they say, well, 
We just want them to, to have a taste of the kind of love that we see in here and that we are experiencing in here. And then some of those people stuck around and they heard the gospel and they got saved. We've had that happen. That's actually amazing, all right? What a great testimony. Now, let's look at the last part of verse 8, and we'll finish off there this morning. Excuse me. Oh, the Lord is really being gracious today. All right, verse 8, he says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of of sins. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, I've read a bit about this, and it, it looks like some commentators differ about how to inter- interpret this last bit. Um, some say that he's talking about God's love that, that covers our sins. You know, he covers all the multitude of sins. And that may be true. You know, the, the, the kind of love that Peter writes about here is the same kind that Paul writes about in Romans 5 verse 8. It's actually the very same word. Paul's, it's translated as, as love in Romans 5 verse 8, but it's the same word. It, he writes there, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So that may be. But I think a better interpretation of this, and that actually fits the context better here, is to say that it is the mutual love between believers that cause them to overlook each other's sins. I think, that, I think that's, that's a better way to understand it. Now, the, the last half of this verse is actually a quote from Proverbs 10, verse 12, which says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. And I, I think that, that it just makes sense, you know, that, that genuine, fervent, sacrificial love will tend to forgive those people that sinned against them, isn't it? it I, I just think it's obvious. It definitely becomes much easier to forgive people like that if you are more focused on how you want to love other people rather than focusing on whatever sins are committed against you. It really becomes much easier because you're your starting point is different. Like I said earlier, when we start from charity, when we start from love, true love, genuine love, these things just tend to fall into place, you know. Um, even if those sins were committed against you. Now, that doesn't mean that, well, we just let people walk all over us, if I can put it that way, and just ignore sin, okay. Yeah, I think that's a better way to say it. Okay, far from it. That's not what we do. We don't ignore sin. But what it does mean is that whenever somebody sins against you, we will be motivated by the love that we have um, towards them to forgive them. And I, I actually want to fill that in a little bit more. It is not just our love, but the love that we know they have for us. This, uh, you know, having this love among ourselves. So it's a mutual thing. I love you, you love me. Ne? So it is that kind of love that motis- mo- motivates you and makes it so much easier to forgive somebody when they've sinned against you. If, if you start from there, you know, that's when we won't hold a grudge against people. We won't start to become bitter towards them. And you know what? In fact, we will start to help them. And we will do whatever we can to restore whatever fellowship was lost or damaged um, by the sin that has happened. That is what love does. That is what true forgiveness is and true love is. Now, 
Paul makes this point in Colossians 3 verse 13, where he writes the following. He says that we should be forbearing one another, okay, forbearing one another, okay, so just bear with me, all right, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, listen to this, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's the motivation. Christ has forgiven you if you are saved here today. He has forgiven you so much. So much. You know, it, 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 I've said this before, but um, it's a worthwhile thing to do once or twice a year just to think about where I was before Jesus found me and where I am now after He found me and, and what He had to forgive me for. All of those terrible, terrible sins that He has forgiven me for. It's a worthwhile thing to do because it also helps with this, with forgiving others and for loving others. That is our example, is what Christ did, what God did. Folks, our sin is so terrible that it sends us to a place of fire. A place of fire forever. A place where you can't burn up. It's not like you're there for 10 seconds and it's done. It just goes on forever. That's how bad our sin is against God Almighty. And He has forgiven you. He's washed it all away, just like that, with His blood. That's your example. Think about how Jesus forgave you. That'll help you to forgive your brothers and your sisters whenever they sin against you. Everything tends to fall in place, folks, in the Christian life when you approach it from this starting point of charity, of love, this fervent charity. If that is your aim, then, then everything will just start to fall in place and, and you will find yourself being obedient to things you may not have read about yet <laughs> if you haven't read through the Bible yet. You know, it, it's just amazing. And so, all right, like, like with any other lesson, and I'll finish off here, but like with any other lesson, you know, you hear things that you've heard before, things you've known, you know, things that you're um, familiar with, maybe one or two things that, that is new information, all right, and, and that's fine. Some things are a refresher, that's good. But let me challenge you with this then today, now that you've got this information. How about you, st you speak to God today? Like, after we finish this session, speak to God and ask Him to help you to fervently love your fellow believers. Ask Him. And as soon as you say amen to that prayer, well, then start to stretch those spiritual muscles. Start to use them immediately. Don't wait. What, what are you waiting for? We've got believers all around us now. Don't wait for it. Start to stretch it immediately. Look for those opportunities to love others. Don't wait for it to fall in your lap. Some opportunities may fall in your lap. Fine. But go and look for them. All right? Earnestly and honestly and genuinely love others. And the Lord will guide you in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that there's, there's so much um, to learn in your word, Lord. And, and many, many of these things, I want to say, these things that we've talked about today, it's not difficult to understand. It's, it's very plain. Um, but maybe we've slipped a bit on that um, recently or for years, maybe, whatever it may be. 
Father, we, we ask you that you will please help us to have this earnest, genuine, fervent love towards believers of all kinds. Please teach us, Lord, how to love as you love. Because you, you are the example of love. <laughs> please teach us and help us. And help us to keep our eyes open and our ears open for, for opportunities to do so. We thank you, Lord, that we are alive today and that we can still do something about this, that we can still love others. And Lord, we thank you so much that, that you always work in our hearts whenever we open our ears and we come to you um, honestly seeking for help, Lord, and honestly wanting an answer or a word from you. You're always faithful in doing that, and we thank you for doing that today. Please be with us for the rest of the services, Lord. And may your hand guide us. Amen. Amen.